so many train wrecks, but I thought, God, Brooke, if you don't have something that's your own, it's all going to be constantly picked apart and taken away. Welcome to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm Laura Brown, Editor-in-Chief of InStyle Magazine, and each week I'm talking to a legendary lady about what she does, how she does it, and what we can learn from her. Today, my guest is the one and only Brooke Shields. Now listen to this. This woman did her first modeling job when she was 11 months old. She shot her first big movie when she was 11 years old. Now, in her 50s, really, she could have been a weird, freaky Hollywood recluse, but she's not. She's great. She has perspective. And that's what I want to talk to her about today. Welcome to Ladies First, Brooke Shields, in which I talk to women who are first in what they do. And guess what? Brooke Shields, you're one of them. I was actually just telling our producer about how we met because it's a sentence that one doesn't normally say. We met at a party that Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes hosted for David and Victoria Beckham when they moved to Los Angeles. I haven't said that sentence probably since then. And we're at this sort of hangar warehouse thing in LA. There's an airplane hangar in LA. And everywhere you looked, it was like more famous person than the next more famous person. I remember going going to get some shrimp or something and going, oh, Bruce Willis. But we're at this thing. You're dancing and I'm dancing. And I mean this as a... Like maybe a compliment to us. We were dancing like dickheads. Dickheads. <laughs> <laughs> like two dickheads, which are always like, better than one. <laughs> we were dancing in this kind of circle. And you know, as one does, because that's what girls do. I don't know why. And just like absolute fools. The problem about the circle was people kept leaving the circle and you and I kept staying in it. So it became more of a line of two. Yeah, and I remember going, wow, Brooke Shields is a dickhead. dickhead. (laughs) And I immediately adored you. I just was like, Brooke Shields is a human lady who's not living... In a bunker with long nails and peeing in a bottle, which you very much could be after your life, but you haven't. There's Um, time. I remember thinking, this is a human lady who is in her own self and in her own bones and not being self-conscious when it is the thing that you could have done more readily than anybody else. And that is what I admire about you. You know, when you're younger, it's all about... Okay, the next thing, the next thing, what am I going to do? i got to do this, i got to do that. And you kind of keep going. So in the, that party, for instance, you walk into that party and it's, it's a lot of pressure. Do you look enough this way? Do you look enough that way? It's a feeding frenzy, especially in Los Angeles. I thought, okay, this is so bizarre, but I'm here and I got invited, so I'm going to have fun. And I think I've done that with every single situation because it's how you stay in it, but separate. I always had another life. None of it was my whole life. Like I always had school. I always lived in New York. My mom, I always, she always made the company that I was working with, have me travel with either my stepsister or a best friend. So I always had someone my age with me. So there was always a point of anchoring. So I would look at all this craziness and think this isn't my real life. But that's what I I think about when I think of you as perspective. Do you remember a first instance or something of perspective, even at a very, very young age? 
I remember even as far back as Pretty Baby and thinking on the one hand that this was such a beautiful, creative movie that was so luscious. And this felt like something that was extraordinary. In addition, it was my first real film, but I remember looking at the other actresses and watching them be so vulnerable and sad and needy and broken and having relationships with people. One girl got pregnant, had to have an abortion. One was sleeping with this person and another person. And I watched people's behavior get so caught up into this thing that was going to leave them in three months. Right. Also, I watched and I thought, I don't ever want to become a sad, lonely actress. <laughs> you know, I mean, and At 11 years old. There were beautiful women that are that thriving today and, and gorgeous and have families and, you know, and, and it's not a comment on them. It was a comment on the vulnerability that this whole business incites, gets you to be, and then doesn't take care of you. So it, it goes open up, open, 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 open up, vulnerable, we're going to steal it. We're going to steal it. And then we're going to let you go. And then you're a raw, just a raw nothing. I didn't want to live my life like that. I wanted to be funny. I wanted to have joy. I wanted to make people laugh. And so that was sort of in my nature. You didn't know then at 11, but you played the long game. I did. I don't know how I had the, the foresight. I guess I saw so many train wrecks and I thought, God, Brooke, if you don't have something that's your own, it's all going to be constantly picked apart and taken away. And that's why I think I was so adamant about having children and being married and having a house and, you know, and anchor, anchor, anchor. Yeah. Cause I was so afraid of being left hanging with nothing. So it's like you go into a party like that. There's nothing anchoring about that. It's all based on comparison and fabulousness of what you're not and what you don't have and how little you are comparatively, you know? And so it's like, okay, what's my anchor? But it says everything about how in your bones you are, that in that environment that could chip you, chip away at you, you can just sit down on the dance floor and just go for it. But also, perspective on being seen as a raging beauty. How did you gain perspective on that? So, wouldn't look in the mirror. Was so afraid of being vain, so afraid of ego, so afraid of celebrating anything that anybody else was sort of, I thought, maybe projecting onto me. What if it wasn't real? Like, so I would sit and make up and I always brought my homework in and I did all my homework and I never looked in the mirror. I never looked at my hair. I never, and they'd say, well, what do you think? And I'd go, it's great. What was I supposed to say? Like, oh, it's great. I look beautiful. Uh, I got a ton of makeup on. Is that beautiful? I don't know. Does it look, no, get me out on set and let me act the character of whatever whoever we're shooting for, that I can do. But then it, it kind of came back to bite me in the ass when I was in dance class. Because in order to be in dance class, you have to look at yourself. And I couldn't do it. And I would fall on my face. I would fall every time I tried to, to pirouette or do a turn or something. And I had a teacher come over to me and he's like, what's the matter with you? He goes, I don't know why you care. He's like, everybody else is looking at themselves. And I thought, 
oh wait, they are, so maybe I can. But the the sort of concept of somehow buying into this thing of beauty seemed so um it was abstract to me. Yeah. You know, how do you take a face of anybody, put it on the cover of Time magazine and say, this is the look of an era? But it seemed so um, not grounded in anything, you know, yeah. and, and, and hard to live up to, to be honest, you know. Did you feel you had to sort of overcompensate for that and be like, no, I'm one of you guys. I'm fun, too. Oh, I lived in self-deprecation at its, at its height probably until just recently. It works in some situations. Make yourself smaller so that other females in particular don't hate you before they've even gotten to know you. And it's a good tool to a certain extent. It, it can really serve you. The problem with it is done over time. You start to believe all of the self-deprecation. So you then opt for, I'm slightly less, I'm always less than, oh, I'm the clown. <laughs> and, and I made myself so much smaller that it's taken me a while to be the bigger part of myself and own all of it, you know? And it's, it's, it's very tricky, but one of the things like that I'm just professing these days is living your biggest life doesn't mean arrogance. It doesn't mean superiority. It doesn't mean not lifting up your fellow female, you know? It just means we all have so much more. Shine it. It's ownership. Did you have to go, okay, quit it? I have to watch myself even today. It's really only been in the last, I want to say 10 years that the idea has started to really germinate. And I've said to myself, enough is enough. Stop already. Come on, what are you waiting for? You think someone's gonna come out of the sky and go, you know, this, I'm gonna give you the wand? No, you have your own wand and you gotta put, put it on yourself and sort of say like, stop. It's just, it's not, doesn't work anymore. It doesn't fit. It's not comfortable for other people. It's not cute. It's a shtick. And I know I push women all the time to say, what are you, you know, what are you proud of? And I've had talked to women, famous actresses, whatever. I don't like the word pride. There's too much ego in it. What are you ambitious for? Oh, ambition. I don't like that word. I think women are taught that. Just be the little lady in the corner. We're talking about decades and decades and decades and decades of this being nurtured. You can't be a strong businesswoman. You're the bitch. And we get associated with that. I mean, I used to think humility was the best word ever. But when you really look at it, you have to be careful. Humble, I get and I will always not think my time is worth more than someone else's. But what I've always done with those words is go up in a little ball, make myself smaller so that other people could be bigger. And that is just toxic. And oftentimes the word humility is used so disingenuously in these fields. Oh, thank you for the biggest award ever. Oh yes, I'm so, I'm so humbled. You just won an Oscar. I think I remember Issa Rae said this. She got up there and went, yeah, I'm good at this. So what are you um, ambitious for? Oh, I am more ambitious now than I think I've ever been. During the pandemic, I was able to go to um, Scotland and do, a, do a, a, a movie for Netflix. That reignited in me 
everything that I know I love to do, which is perform. And I think that to be this age, to be 55 and to feel like I'm just beginning, to feel physically stronger, sexier in my body, I feel like my kids are they're good. I just feel I'm working on creating a um, just an extraordinary platform, and I feel very passionate about it. So I'm ambitious creatively in a way that I used to possibly think was selfish, and now I just think it's my time, and I feel blessed, but I want more, and, and I'm ready for it now. And not to do it with a disclaimer. And, you know, not apologizing for it. And I want to do more and uh, affect my life and other people's lives and, and just be as big as I possibly can. everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Welcome back to Ladies First with me, Laura Brown. I'm talking to Brooke Shields about how she's kept such great perspective throughout her career, despite being in show business before she could walk. But tell me what, through your career, what you've been proudest of achievement wise and obviously and then we'll get to family what I did on stage in wonderful town to me it all culminated in one of the best performances I think of my life and I did it almost a year and eight times a week and the extraordinary feat of doing something that physical, something that had that range in it. And then the, the cherry on the top was I got extremely wonderful reviews from the same reviewers who had just, just, you know, destroyed, eviscerated me for 30 years. <laughs> so I'm the most proud of going into the shoes of someone who got the Tony nomination the challenge of going into a Broadway show like that was really, I'm a student, I'm a student though. I'm really a student, like of, of anything and everything. Before, so tell me about personally, family, uh, proudest things to date, to date. Well, prior to family, just going to university and getting a degree was unheard of. You know, I mean, Jody. It was the only one that had done it and Jennifer and, and Jennifer Beals and to do and, and for it to be an Ivy League and get honors. And I walked off that campus so fortified in the press that didn't really love that I had an education now because my answers were different. It also made me know that it, I, the industry that I loved so much that was so tenuous 
if God forbid it got taken away in any way, I had enough to, to, to pivot. You have had a way, especially with your, with your book about fertility and, and everything else, I've, um, is you have a great universality to the way that you communicate. That seems like it came naturally to you, but when you were writing the, you know, these books, were you conscious of that or were you just like, this happened to me? Um, I don't, I, you know, I think that because my history with the public and with people has always stemmed from, there was always so much access to me. Oh, she uh, had her period. Oh, she lost her virginity. Oh, she had her braces on. And so you sit there going like, man, there's got a lot to say about all those things like in my life. Yeah. You know? And, and, and you think, God, wow, really? Okay. Well, here's an idea. I'm going to tell you what really happened. They're already going to say something about it, so I might as well beat them to it, you know? And then the, the reaction to it was so positive and, and helpful to, to me and to, to women and to, you know, my, my children. How does it inform you as a mom? I'm proud of the women that they are, that I am getting out of their way, giving them enough of the tools and the guidance and the freedom to be who they are, but the knowledge that I have acquired and sharing that as a parent. You know, so it's, it's not just letting them run amok. I'm proud of the fact that I'm giving them freedom. I'm not making my need of their approval so strong that I hinder them or that I'm their burden, you know? And I, I lived in that kind of a parental. My mother's whole life depended on me. And I loved her to death and felt loved and blah, blah, blah. But I don't want them to be burdened with worrying and I want them to love me and, you know, be proud of me. But I, I'm not their problem, you know. And you're, you're very conscientious about parenting too. And, and to have teenage girls that you're not all strangling each other is, is an incredible victory. So, you know. it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting and it's miraculous when you have a day that didn't have tears. Yeah. That's, well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's also going to be disqualified as that, that pandemic life. We're, we're talking in January 2021 and uh, we've been, this has been happening since March 2020. How have you managed to get through emotionally, intellectually yourself? It was an unbelievable six seven straight months of just being under one roof. And it was in ways glorious because we were afraid together. We laughed together. We were angry together. We had fun together. We got bored together, but we also came out of it together. And I don't know how much of that is long lasting for teenagers, but I do know that as a mom, knowing that very soon they will be out of my house, having that kind of uninterrupted time, it wasn't all bliss and doing puzzles and, you know, doing, doing TikToks. Yeah, there were those and they were great, but the, the most boring and annoying times, sometimes I looked at them and I thought, 
you have to be in the house with me. <laughs> you can't see your friends. <laughs> you know, I was yes. like, I was like, I have you captive. <laughs> Physically, I I took like I do usually do with everything. I took the one thing that I could have control over. Because it couldn't have control, and the, the fear of not having control, especially for a Gemini, is like, it's mind-blowing. So I took control of the physical. No, but it's, it's true. If you can control something, and if it's, if it's your own physical health, you know, and not, not be overtaken by well, the circumstances. Well, of course, the first part of it yeah. was all drinking and all eating. Like, yeah, I drank every day starting at like 11. Nice. Efficient. Because it was justifiable. I drank a lot and I ate a lot. And then all of a sudden I thought, okay, now let's try to find balance in all of this. So that's what happened. Okay, 10 firsts. It's just 10 cheeky little questions. Number one, first drink you order. And margarita. Not sweet. Salt or no? No salt, not sweet. And I've been, uh, I actually do a Tommy's margarita, which is what they call them in London. How many can you have though? I've done, I did that. I had, once I had three uh, margaritas the next day, I thought I was going to die. I think people are, are built differently. <laughs> I can have my constitution. It's just in my history. I can definitely handle exorbitant amounts. I'm uh, currently not drinking, which has been, kind of not fun, but, but I feel much better, but I can drink at least three or four of those just as a start. <laughs> Brooke's knowledge of the constitution of herself is unparalleled. Okay. First thing you look at on your phone in the morning, my texts, then what else? And then emails. I do not go first to Instagram. I cannot do it first thing in the morning. I have to start my day, get everything, you know, settle in, and then and then I'll check it mid-afternoon. What's your worst online habit? Shopping on Amazon. I just love equipment. I love things. I love things in kitchens that do things, and my husband is the opposite. He's like, do not get me something that has one function. I don't want it in this kitchen. Because you don't need a rice cooker. You got a pot. I'm like, but I can put the rice cooker on and I can walk away. He goes, how about putting rice in a pot and staying there? <laughs> He's right. Okay. Um, first person you call. First person I call when I'm home with everybody? Yeah. Uh, my, uh, my agent. <laughs> <laughs> Business-wise, I'll always, like, I get up and I have to know what my day is. So I need to know what, what I have to do. Um, I don't start enjoying my phone time until mid-afternoon, and then I then I go for the girlfriends. But you know what? But what I do a lot is text. Like, I'll text you in the middle of the night so that when you wake up in the morning, you'll have my text. <laughs> okay. First joke you remember? Uh, first joke I remember was a joke my mother told. It was about a woman coming home and saying to her husband, you know, I saw the doctor today and he said I had the nicest legs and the husband's going, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he said I had beautiful hair, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he said that I was just had the softest skin, uh-huh, uh-huh. She's trying to get a rise out of him. And he said I had the most luscious lips, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he says, hey, did he say anything about your fat ass? And she says, no, your name was never mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> that 
That is a joke my mother that's told a, me when I was a child. That's a perfect mom of a certain, like, you know, era. <laughs> yeah, your name was never mentioned, fat ass. <laughs> yeah, that was a joke I seem to always remember. Okay, first fashion splurge. <gasps> An Hermes bag. Ooh. When I was doing Lipstick Jungle, yeah, I got a Birkin. What color? It was actually Kelly Green. Oh! I know. I probably should have gotten, like, black, but I I went in, and the only one that they had that was the size that I could buy was, um, like, a really sharp green. And it's so pricey. It's so pretty. You, I love do it. Do you carry it around anywhere lately? Like, who even uses a handbag these days? Yes. I used it more when I was in L.A. because you had to get in and out of the car. But, um... Yeah, I, I don't know. I love accessories. I know you do. Whenever I see it, it's like, oh, so this ring I've got, these earrings? Mmm, glamour. Okay, first time you owned your shit. Oh, first time I owned my shit? Oh, God. I was probably nine. <laughs> Go on. Because <laughs> I, I, I was already doing movies when I was that age. And I was like, I got it. I got, I got what I'm, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to own it. Okay. First date. First date was with Jimmy McNichol. We were in California and I think we went to the Bel Air Hotel and we were like walking by the pond and I thought like, oh, oh, maybe he's going to kiss me. And I had my back to the, to the water and the swans are really mean. And literally, the swan came out of the water and started running after me and attacking me, and we never had to kiss, and that was it. If you ever get to know Brooke here and you and you wheel out some of your date stories, <laughs> well, that'll be a separate book. I know. <laughs> okay, first thing you turn on TV. I turn on the news. I turn on CNN. And then we just flagellate ourselves. Fair enough. First thing you do or eat if you're stressed. Uh, stressed? Um, I'm not a stress eater. I'm probably more of a stress drinker. Um, like I don't have the comfort I'm going to go eat a pint of ice cream. Do you something you do if you're stressed out? Is it something you say to yourself or you need to like lie down or? I need to like do some crazy kind of like spin class, like a soul cycle class or something. I need to obliterate. I need to, to get so tired. I'm like those, like, you know, little kids that, you know, that just need to run or, or like, absolutely, I need to make it so that I almost can't stand up straight. Because otherwise, I just get wound and wound and tighter and tighter and tighter. Okay, two left. First car you bought? A Chrysler LeBaron um, convertible. And it was this little car, and I went to go, I went to go buy it, and... They ended up giving it to me because I took a picture in a little Valentino sweater leaning on it. And uh, and then they, they recalled them because, like, the brakes went out or something. <laughs> so I was like, hmm, God giveth, God taketh. I think that's a, just an analogy for the whole celebrity life. My mother would always say, there ain't nothing for free. She'd say there's no such thing as a free lunch. She goes, just watch. Everything they give you for free, they'll want blood. <laughs> it's, it's sort of true. And, and I'm yet to totally learn that lesson. But I just love how anything 
we speak about in terms of your history ends up being in some sort of like mafioso accent. No, it's like, ah, oh, then I saw And then mom said. She was no. from Newark. My no. mom was from Newark. <laughs> but like every, your whole theme of like your earlier recollections is in the, is in the vein of I've seen some shit. <laughs> Look at the games on that girl. <laughs> okay, last one. Uh, first thing you'll do when this pandemic is over. Oh, just go out to just to dinner and, and I don't know, I kind of want to go somewhere and dance with my friends. I just want to like go and just, just socialize and I want to hug. I want hugs. I want... Yeah, just climb on random people. I don't think we're meant to be so isolated. On that note, again, why I admire you is because you've not isolated yourself from anything and you're never going to, and you have completely lived your life in an open, honest, uh, and edifying way, again, when you could have been peeing in bottles. Who's <laughs> to say I haven't? <laughs> Just, I don't want to see what's downstairs. I'm going to assume it's um, But thank you for all you do, and I can't wait to see what you're up to next. As your friend and fan, I can't wait. So thank you for doing this little podcast. Yeah, I'm so glad you're doing it. I'm so proud of you, if I can say that, and happy for you, and it's only the beginning. This has been Ladies First with Laura Brown. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Savaris, Danielle Roth, Anne Ford, Anne Kane, and Erica Wong. And thanks to Brian Anstey, Molly Stout, and Haley Mason at InStyle. You can find out more at InStyle.com. Find us on Instagram at InStyle Magazine, on Twitter at InStyle, and you can find me on Insta and Twitter at LauraBrown99.